Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. Today I'm very excited because this is a very special occasion for me. This is the 100th podcast episode and I set up the podcast just to really try and reach more women and I never thought I would be going more than 10, let alone 100. So on our special anniversary of the 100th podcast, I'm very delighted to be inviting back to podcast studio Rebecca Lewis, who is a clinical director with me at Newton Health. She's also director of our free app balance and she's also director of Newton Health Research and Education and above all actually she's a really good friend and mentor and companion to me so thanks for coming today Rebecca. Oh thank you no it's lovely being here and wonderful to be for the hundredth isn't that amazing. I know (laughs) so I thought we would just have this as a bit of an informal two-way chat because obviously I quiz and question lots of people all the time and I thought it's quite nice maybe for people to hear why we do what we do because neither of us set out when we were at medical school if someone has said to us right guys in 25 years time the two of you will be running probably the world's biggest menopause center I would have just gone don't be ridiculous no way way. I wouldn't have thought that at all private medicine no absolutely not no way it wasn't, you know, always being committed to the NHS for 30 years. Absolutely. So, a strange thing, isn't it? Yeah. So you set off not even becoming a GP initially, did you? Just to explain yeah. what you were doing. Well, initially I went into hospital medicine like you were really mm. and sort of specialised in anaesthetics and got all my exams and was set to become, you know, on my way to be an anaesthetic consultant. But then I had a sort of change of heart really and wanted to do something slightly different and that involved people a bit more. And so I swapped to general practice had some training there and enjoyed my time in general practice for the next 20 years very much so and then of course now my life has changed again and <laughs> here I am doing purely menopause work which I absolutely love and you know that has been the most rewarding part of all my medical experience so far it has been the most rewarding medicine you know using a medication generally that helps women and is so low risk and for free has future health benefits. I've never, ever had any experience of that in any other medication or medicine. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? I think sometimes, I'm sure you felt the same, you've done jobs or you've done on call or you've done experience and you thought, where's this going? What am I yeah. doing? And as some of you listening might know, I've got a pathology and immunology degree and I um My lab work was looking at collagen and how it changes. And it was really isolating, actually. Being a laboratory worker is really hard. And you lose insight of what it's like to actually be a patient. I was looking at a disease called systemic sclerosis. And people get very tight skin and they can't open their mouth very much. And they can't hold things sometimes in very extreme forms. And at the end of my research, I thought, I better go and sit in a clinic, actually, and see what these women are like. And I was so taken with goodness me, I'm looking at their skin and they can't open their mouth. They can hardly speak. And it mm. really, really puts something in it. And now, as you know, we're doing yeah. a bit of research, looking at skin changes in the menopause and thinking, gosh, that's interesting. All this work I did then. Now I'm looking at microscopic changes of the skin that, because of the hormone changes. And 
you know you wouldn't have thought that would have led to that then would you when you were in the laboratory no not at all you are using those skills again in a different way and then I did a 10-week project as a student in a breast cancer unit because I wanted to do oncology I wanted to look after people who have cancer and then I part of my work was to write a booklet about tamoxifen which is obviously, you know, the drug that is given a lot now for breast cancer. And it's only really just come out because this was 1992. Yeah. There was no internet then, obviously, was there? So it was very hard to get information. So my consultant, Professor Tony Howell, who is very inspirational, said, can you write a booklet about tamoxifen? And I said, well, yeah, but I think women need to know a bit more. And so then I wrote a series of four booklets about cancer and about lymph glands and about chemotherapy. And it was very interesting, actually, writing for patients, because my first draft, I sent to my mother, who was, you know, is not medical. So what do you think? She said, Louise, there's all these medical words, no one will understand them. Yeah. I said, but everyone knows what cancer is, everyone knows what chemotherapy is. She said, Louise, they don't. It's because you know these words. So then I had to think, right, let me try again. And then there's a thing called readability and reading ease it's like a score you count up the number of syllables and the number of words in a sentence yes and now you can just run it through the computer but in the old days obviously you had to work it out yourself and actually that skill was really good and that's helped me for the last 25 years of being a medical writer yeah that really must actually because it helps Mm. communication doesn't it Mm. you know you you are fantastic at that is getting the message across to women but it's quite hard actually isn't it because when you've got a lot of science in your head Mm. It's very hard then to translate, and it is a bit of a translation, isn't it? Because yeah, it's a great skill to actually take quite a complex situation and mm. distill it down to something that's quite easy to understand and short yes. and accessible. That's a great skill, isn't it? And I think also going from hospital medicine, I was a hospital physician for a few years, and then I went into general practice. And my trainer, John Sanders, who again was another very inspirational, really incredible mentor to me, mm. said, "Louise." You've got MRCP, which is a member of the Royal College of Physicians. You are going to not do well in your membership of the Royal College of GPs examination. And I thought, what do you mean? He said, because you will be too busy thinking about the disease and you won't think about the patient as a person. Yeah. And it really stuck with me. And you know when someone says you're going to do badly, well, obviously you're going to do really well and prove them wrong. Yes. (laughs) It was true because we used to be doing a ward round and say bed number five, asthma attack, bed number two, heart attack. Yeah, And you wouldn't realise that these poor people have got homes and families and careers and, you know, they're sitting in their dressing gown, really vulnerable, whereas you're six of you doing a ward round in a teaching hospital. It must have been horrendous for them. Yeah, And I think general practice really does give you skills and tools to communicate, doesn't it? Well, it does. And actually, in general practice or primary care, you're seeing 99% of the population. It's only a very mm. small amount that end up in secondary care, 1% or more. That was my trainer told me that when I started general practice. And actually, the books, of course, are all written from secondary care point of view in yes. general. It's slowly changing, but, but still is that remains yeah. the case which is a very skewed version of what illness is and disease is it's all from secondary care viewpoint uh, which misses an enormous amount it does doesn't it and I think you're trying very hard as a physician to be a diastognition you want to make that diagnosis yes you're trying to and you often can't and then one of the things John Saunders really taught me was shared decision making and and asking patients what they think is wrong with them and I said well that's ridiculous because no one knows what's wrong with them he said no ask and also ask them what they're worried about 
And I thought that's quite hard to ask someone, isn't it? They're coming yeah. in with symptoms. And yeah. I remember one of my patients was a young lad who's only 24 and he came to see me and he had a sore throat and he was really, yeah. couldn't talk and he was being a bit wet and he was a bit, oh, yes. he just got a really sore throat and I'm a bit achy and I just thought I'd come and see you as a doctor. So I thought, right, I'm going to ask him what he's worried about. Yeah. So I said to him, well, I'm sorry you feel like this. I think you've probably got a cold. Is there anything you're worried about? And he said, yes. He said, my mother is in intensive care. She's really poorly. And they've told me that if I've got something infectious, I can't go and see her. I feel quite emotional talking about it because uh, I thought, oh, my goodness. So all he wanted was reassurance that it was a simple cold. He didn't have tonsillitis and he didn't yes. have a temperature. And it really stuck with me because I thought if I hadn't asked him and said to him, you are 24, you have a cold, you're wasting my time. Yeah, he, he would have been dismissed. He would have been and dismissed and he had mm. this huge worry. But you were able to reassure him, which is lovely. And and I think, you know, there's someone called Avram Blooming, who many of you listening might know, who's written the most amazing book called Oestrogen Matters. And he came and spoke to all the doctors that work with us now in the clinic. And he said, and I've heard him say before, as a doctor, he feels that he's a patient's advocate. Yeah. And I think that's a really good word, isn't it? And I'm not trying to say that we're here to hold people's hands and stroke them and make them feel Mm. better, but we're really here to listen and guide them and direct Mm. them into a direction that they want and I think that's really important isn't it? Totally I couldn't agree more really that's our job as doctors and especially in general practice where we've had those skills and training um secondary care maybe but particularly with primary care how important it is the patient it's patient-centered it's actually looking after your patient wondering what they want what are their choices setting out the choices for them giving evidence-based advice Mm -hmm. but actually at the end of the day it's working with your patient to try and achieve the goals they want to achieve really you know it's working together as a team and I think you know I had no idea at the time doing all this communication work which has been such a big building block to my future career but how important it is for menopause and HRT because there's been so much misinformation and as many of you know when I started my clinic I couldn't get a job in the NHS as a menopause specialist because there's no clinics near us and even in primary care and GP practices they weren't interested in having me as a resource so I um, just set up privately just to work one day a week and there's been a lot of women who came and saying I don't want HRT I'm really scared I don't want it I don't want it and it's Mm. a long time just talking about it and it is really trying to get the facts over in a very clear way and then let women make a choice in an unhurried clear evidence-based way which can be quite difficult if they're not presented with all the facts and information can't it? Completely. And that's really the the nub of your work and how much work you have done to help women make an informed choice. And it's educating society and women in general about what their choices are, actually. Mm. But if they want to have this sort of treatment, that is fine, you know, if they're aware Mm. of their decisions and and what it involves. And shared decision making is, is what it's all about, surely. But women have to understand that. And there's so many myths still in the media, in medicine, in secondary care, in primary care that are just plain wrong and still sticking. You know, thank goodness things are changing a little bit. But that's really I think your work has been amazing, Louise, how you have managed to change society's view 
about the menopause and about treatments that are so safe and effective. And this is a turning point for women, really. This is a real time, a zeitgeist time for women now, is a time of change, how they can really manage their menopause properly. But it's very hard, isn't it? And I know, I remember when I started my clinic and started to see women who travelled sometimes for three, four hours because it was mm. before we did remote consultations and mm. they would come on their knees and say, oh, they still do, sadly, you know, say that they could no longer function as a woman, they couldn't work. And I remember going, we met for a walk and we'd be mm. jumping across fields mm. and me talking to you and I think I just talked at you. I don't think you even had a word in because I kept saying to you, <laughs> this is awful. None of my GP patients I would ever let to get to this stage. What's going on? And you said, no, surely I think it's just a few patients. You'll never be that busy. Yes, I was worried about that. You were right. And I said, well, that's fine. I don't want to do more. I feel very uncomfortable doing private medicine. I really want to carry on as my GP job and my medical writing. And then it became quite busy. And then I remember saying to you, Rebecca, can you come and see some patients? And it was a big step for you as well, wasn't it, to do private medicine? Well, it was, yes. Stepping out of the NHS, which I've been for, I don't know, 20 years or so, it was mm. a big, big step. But I had no choice because I wanted to, I'd heard these stories from you, which I, it was a revelation to me. I hadn't really realised how many women were suffering no. all over the country, really suffering, really suffering. And yeah. marriages just up, not able to work, you know, being put into mental hospitals and dreadful, you know awful awful time women had I had no idea so yes I was desperate to come and help and it was very obviously we're very professional medically but just for those of you listening we don't have business degrees and we don't have any you know we certainly don't work with any pharmaceutical companies but we don't have any handouts for anyone so we just thought well let's just try it and see and you were working in a different place to me we had a remote PA and Looking back, we had no idea what we were doing on the business side of things. But then we both became very busy. And I said, look, I want to open a clinic. And you said, well, I don't think there'll be enough patients for a clinic. And I said, well, I don't think there'll be enough doctors because a lot of doctors are so resistant to prescribing HRT. So you arranged at your GP practice, didn't you, to have an evening meeting with people that you knew that I didn't know. And they didn't know me either. So I was a bit really nervous actually coming. And I remember (laughs) I... I did a presentation just showing them a bit about me and my background and about some of the sort of media, social media work that I did. But I just chose to do it as a way of educating women. And I remember some of the doctors who now work with us saying, why are you doing this privately, Louise? Because we do this all the time. And I said, come and sit in the clinic and you'll you'll hear these stories of women that are being neglected. Yes. And um, a few of them have sat in our clinic, haven't they, and just cried. Yes. Because the stories are so awful. Stories can be horrendous, really, really Mm. moving stories. But sadly, it's not just one story. It's over and over again. Yes. We hear how women are suffering all over the country, all over the world. It's not a problem in the UK, it's a problem globally. No, absolutely not. And and I know when I first heard some of these stories, I remember going to um, the chair of the Royal College of GPs, who's now changed, but when I went to go and see her, I said, Helen, I, I can't believe these stories, actually. This is really shocking. We need to improve education. And I've done a lot of education work with the Royal College of GPs over the last 15 years. And she said, really gosh I had no idea either but you know we are very busy and we do lots of programs which I completely understand mm-hmm. and that was three and a half years ago and I don't think education for healthcare professionals sadly has really improved and 
it's quite difficult to get menopause education mm. and certainly a lot of us haven't had formal education or I, I now have but before I hadn't no. now we know what we know and we know about the health risks of having low hormones it does seem really strange doesn't it I can't think mm. of if you came to see me as a GP and you had raised blood pressure mm. and I said oh well Rebecca I'm sorry you're going to have to see someone else because I don't know anything about raised blood pressure yeah you might think I was quite a bad doctor yeah. whereas if you came with a really weird skin condition mm. that caused a rash and I didn't know what the rash was and I'd say I've never seen this before you would I think you would accept that because it would be unusual yes. but we're not blood pressure affects probably about 10 20 percent of the population adult population yes whereas menopause affects 100 percent of female population yes so how can we as healthcare professionals say sorry I, I don't know anything about menopause I can't help you it seems absolutely ridiculous doesn't it when you just say that mm. if you're explaining someone to Mars coming down yes how, you know medicine and society don't really understand the menopause yet it affects 51 percent and you know the problem is it's gone under the radar it's been thought yes, of it a bit of a Cinderella subject and hasn't been taken seriously no. by of course you know, medicine mainly dominated by secretary care. It has not been taken seriously. There's been scares and worries, so that's put people off anyway from investigating more. And it's only more latterly, I'm saying, the last 10, 20 years that we've got some more evidence how damaging it is to live without your hormones for 30 years. Absolutely. Now women are living longer. So it's come to the fore, I suppose, relatively recently in the history of time, of course, but it's still a taboo in the medical world is that yes yes but that's it's normal and um, don't worry about that yeah that's exactly right and you know 25 years ago it was promoted HRT for a yeah. treatment to reduce risk of heart disease and they said everyone should have it regardless of race or background yes. to reduce risk of heart disease and then this yeah. study came out in 2002 which was misreported and scandalized actually and mm. then people stopped taking it. and then the incidence of heart disease in women has really rocketed it's yes. gone up by 44 percent in the last 20 years because people have not been having the protective effects of estrogen in their system. yeah that's an enormous part of why it's happened it's it's become something you don't even want to get involved with it because of that study. It has scared people away mm. unnecessarily. It's scandalous because it was wrong. It was absolutely yeah. the opposite was in fact true. And we now know how helpful, it, how good it is for our vessels in reducing cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis mm. and many other diseases as well. And so certainly as a physician, as a doctor, Helping menopausal women is the most transformational medicine I've ever, ever experienced. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I've seen some women today who are my follow-up patients, who so I've met them once or twice before, and yes. every single one this morning has said to me, thank you, you have given me my life back. I wish I'd come sooner. That's my only regret. And, yes, that's really lovely. Of course it's lovely hmm. to hear those stories. But I also know that I'm improving their future health, so they're hmm. less likely to be a drain on the health system they're less likely to have diseases they're more likely to have better quality of life and I can't think of any other area of medicine that we can do that so I think what a lot of what I've tried to do over the last three years is educate like you say women Mm. but then we still hear stories and as we've both got children of similar ages we've been playing a bit with social media using it as a platform actually to give information but what I haven't wanted to do is to 
make it so that more people come and see me because I don't want our business to be busier. We don't want to have a big waiting list. It's not the reason that we're educating. It's not the reason at all. It's really to get this message. It feels like we're sometimes the only people that understand it. We're not the only people. We know many more. We feel like we're a minority when it's a majority problem. We need to get that word out there. Yeah, exactly. So we've certainly spent a lot of time talking about what else can we do because we know that there's only two of us and yeah. we can't open clinics in every town and we don't want to actually no. I don't really don't we could easily if we were very business minded we could say yeah come on let's get a huge loan let's open a clinic in every town and and I know it would be busy but it wouldn't feel right I've still got this thing at the back of my mind that we shouldn't be doing private medicine so a couple of years ago we set up a this not-for-profit company called Newson Health Research and Education and we decided didn't we to set up our own education program with two other doctors one works with us now Dr Sarah Ball and also Alice Duffy and we decided to set up our own education program but we wanted to make it really accessible and cheap and we know because we're mums as well as GPs that it's very hard to get time off actually to go and do a one day or two day or five day course so we Mm. wanted to make it remote obviously this was before Covid I hasten to add so it was quite unusual to do something that was remote but we got out of our comfort zones and we had lectures filmed that we were lecturing in, but also some of our other colleagues lecturing, like gynaecologists and dermatologists. And we also did a day of filming, didn't we, with actresses who we gave them scripts and we asked them to pretend that they had migraines or that they'd had early menopause or that they'd had cancer. And my mother was the older lady talking about her vaginal dryness. Thank you very much, Mum. And other things. And we had quite a fun day doing it, actually. That's great fun. Yeah, it was and it concentrated the mind trying to yes. you know get the salient points out in front of the camera and come up with your treatment plan but I hope it was really useful for people to watch because there's nothing like watching someone consult. Yeah so even when I did my advanced specialist training with the British Medical Society I still didn't quite feel mm. I had a handle on how much to prescribe what to do and so then, as you know, I started HRT myself because I was getting symptoms. So I learned a lot for myself, which is always yes. good if yes. you're a patient. But then I went and sat in some clinics and that was the best thing that I did. I learned loads, actually, from yeah. the see. But also I wanted to show that in 10 minutes you can transform someone's lives because it's very easy for people to say, well, of course you're going to help because you have half an hour or 45-minute consultations. So we timed them, didn't we? So we could do 10-minute consultations so that GPs, nurses could really just help. And we've already had some fantastic feedback with them. And people, a lady who's a GP spoke to me yesterday and she said, I love it because you do questions before and the same questions after and you can see how you've improved. And then you've got access to the evidence as well. And one male GP said to me, it has completely transformed my way of treating women, actually. That's wonderful, because isn't it? The mm. first thing I do is ask them about their periods. And usually it's a problem, especially when they're in their 40s. And this has really made a difference because then I start talking about hormones. And within months, I can see they're feeling better. Um, mm. So it reduces mm. that need for all these referrals. 
yes. different tests and inappropriate prescribing and all sorts. So that's right. That's the scandal as well. Not only that women aren't getting treated, but they're being misdiagnosed mm-hmm. and referred at great cost to secondary care for their migraines, for their urine infections, for their muscle and joint pains, palpitations. I mean, every area is affected of the body, as we know. Absolutely, because oestrogen is important. Every cell in our body, it can really affect. And for years, women have been misdiagnosed, many women, with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. And now, obviously, we're looking into long COVID because many of the symptoms of long COVID are similar. And there are quite a few women who have noticed their periods have changed or stopped. And I'm sure some of their symptoms are related to their low hormone levels. So it's, it's a real problem. So we've obviously got the education program there's a lot more we're going to do with that Mm -hmm. and then we've also worked to found the menopause charity which neither of us have got any charity experience at all but you're on the clinical committee of it and it's very interesting listening to the need from women actually isn't it and the real reason for setting up the charity is so that we can try and reach as many women as possible globally to be a voice for them, actually, because I think they've lost their voices, haven't they? They haven't got a voice. There's no unified voice for them, really. I mean, they need that desperately to access treatment, which is not even available in their countries. Yes. And it's absolutely dreadful. These women are suffering so much all over, in our own country and different countries. Mm. The stories are can be horrendous, actually. And they really need someone to fight their cause. Absolutely. So we've just launched the charity. And by the time this goes out, the website will be live. And it's called themenopausecharity.org. And we have most amazing ambassadors and supporters. And there's a lot more. So anyone who's listening who wants to help, certainly who wants to donate as well, we really want it to be a platform for women, but also for men and employers to really get not just information, but know what to do with that information, know how to help not just themselves, but their partners, their colleagues, their relatives. So we've got a lot to go, but we've got to start somewhere. And then Mm. the other thing that you're a director of is Balance App, which is a different company that we've got. And this is the app that we've developed. And it's a free app. And we've already seen a massive uptake of tens of thousands of women are using it with some great feedback. And we're hoping that will be really pivotal to improve mm. menopause care and perimenopause care because women can create this health report. And I know, I'm sure you'll agree, but if I, 15 years ago as a GP, if someone had said to me, I've produced this health report from an app and yeah. I think I've got the menopause and I've got these symptoms, what can I do? It would make the consultation very easy, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be brilliant. This is what I think the, the app is so amazing. It's free. You can put your symptoms in and it can come out with a very clear suggestion of diagnosis with a health report that you could just take along to your GP. Because one of the problems, Louise, isn't it, is that if you're beset by so many symptoms, which menopausal women often are, they have three or four quite severe symptoms. How do they start the conversation if they're not sure what it's due to? So they're very concerned about the palpitation. So the conversation goes down the palpitation line and all of a sudden they're seeing a cardiologist. Whereas if they had gone to the app and put in their symptoms and they had tracked it with their periods, then the penny would drop. Hang on, is this due to their hormone status? The health report will come out saying, I think this could be due to your hormones and you may like to talk to your GP about this and to discuss this because of these sort of things. Um, with all of the uh, symptom questionnaires mm. for. 
So then as a GP, when you've got such limited time, it is really hard in general practice. If someone came in with a report saying, do you know what? I think I'd like to talk about my hormones because I think this could be the cause of about three or four of my symptoms. Immediately you get off to the right start. You're thinking about hormones. And the conversation usually goes very well then. And I think this is very interesting because then it goes back to Dr. John Sanders, who was my trainer as a GP, because he's always said, ask the patient what they think is wrong with them. And I thought at the time, that is ridiculous. But actually, patients, we know our bodies pretty well, especially when we've got a bit of information. So there's a whole narrative and a lot of educationalists are saying at the moment, GPs are too busy to take on more education. They can't take on menopause education as well. Whereas my pushback is actually if they knew about the menopause, not only is it very rewarding, but it will reduce workload going forwards because these women will be able to take control of their lives and their bodies as well. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there a survey that said that before they got to a diagnosis of menopause, they needed about nine consultations. And if they had downloaded the app and gone straight there, hopefully just one consultation to get to the right Yes, and then they won't be referred off to all these other for all these other tests and everything as well. And on the Channel Four documentary with Davina that's recently mm. come out, mm. there is a lady who was getting pains in her arms and, and legs and losing hair, and mm. she said to the doctor, well, "I think it's my hormones," and he said, "No, not at all. It won't be." Mm. Whereas if she had produced more information, or she she may have said on that as an example, "I'm I'm getting some pains and I've lost hair." And also my periods have gone become irregular and I'm getting some sweats and flushes. They would have had a different conversation, I'm sure. The doctor would have thought hormones. Well, I think the other thing is, is that there's this whole narrative, which we won't go into too much, but it's about mm. listening to women. And I think mm. people mm. often will just say, oh, no, you're making that up. That doesn't fit into your disease category box and Mm. not just this isn't about healthcare professional I think in general in society women are not listened to women are Mm. can be a bit of a nuisance actually and we should be fading away behind our aprons a little bit working from Mm. home not complaining and we do have this let's just put up and get on with it and keep strong but actually we shouldn't be like that you know can you imagine if men even had periods (laughs) They went through pregnancy, but goodness only knows what it'd be like if men were menopausal. I know. Because Well, it wouldn't be a problem, I think, like we're seeing. It absolutely wouldn't. So we need to think about women and women who are neglected as well. You know, the women we see in our clinic are more vocal because they've come and found us, but they can't afford many of them to come. They shouldn't be paying. It's really outrageous, but we want to be reaching women who are far less privileged and struggling far more without the education, without the resources, and trying to reach as many people abroad as well, I think is really important. So so although I feel in the last half hour, I feel we've blown our own trumpet and said how well we've done, I actually think we've got so much further to go, Rebecca. So, you know, this is really the start of a journey, isn't it? It is the start of the journey. The work will always be there and we need to help these women. But I think it's a good start. And I think the tide is slowly changing, thanks to your work. But yes, it's being believed is the crucial thing here for women, being listened to and having a voice. And they really haven't. Even in this day and age, I'm quite shocked to hear myself saying that. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think that's a really good 
place to end about thinking about listening. But a couple of things before we finish. I obviously want to ask you for three take home tips, which I'll ask in a minute. But I also wanted to publicly thank you for being such a good friend, mentor and supporter, because it's not been all plain sailing the last two and a half years. And there are many a time that I phone you in tears and say, I cannot continue. This has happened. That's happened. And I can't. And you've just been such a voice of calm. And I really am very grateful. And I just thought I'd say it publicly because it's very important for everyone to think it's just me because it's my name. But it's not actually it's a double act that we oh, do and it's very important that that's acknowledged so thank oh, that's you that's so sweet of you to say that but it's as you know it has been just a joy working alongside you and you know being able to help women has given me such passion and changed my life for the better in so many ways I've met so many wonderful people and as I said it's the most rewarding job I've ever done so to finish with the three things, I'm going to challenge you now and push you out of your comfort zone and ask, what three things do you think we can, I'm not going to say you because we'll do it together because we yeah. do everything together, what three things do you think we can achieve over the next decade that we're going to be really proud of? Right. Well, I would love to see the amount of women having correct treatment for their menopause increase. At the moment, there's only 14% of women get HRT. I'm not saying every woman definitely needs HRT, but a good deal more than 14%. And I'd love to see that in 10 years into the 60s or 70%. Right? Mm. Um, so I think we can try and achieve that. That's one of the goals in my head. Number two, I really want to raise the profile of the menopause, not only medically, but in society and in the workplace. Mm. I think the workplace is huge. We see casualties of the menopause all the time, but particularly about careers and their jobs. We talk about the glass ceiling a lot now in society. We talk about the gender pay gap, the pension pay gap. And a lot of reason women leave their jobs is because of the menopause. And if we can try and get that information to businesses, to society, to help women while they're working with effective solutions, for their menopausal symptoms, to enable them to carry on working. Women often don't want to work or be early retired. Uh, they want to carry on with a job that they once loved. And why shouldn't they be able to do that? And it would be wonderful if we could achieve that goal, that it, naturally women have support in their menopause in the workplace. And I think raising the profile of the menopause globally um, mm-hmm. sounds rather grand and uh, grandiose, perhaps, but it's such a serious problem for so many countries that can't have, don't even have a word for menopause and certainly no treatment options. And the women there really, really do suffer. And it can be almost medieval what they're going through. And I would love to help those women much more mm. by awareness and provision of solutions. I think that's about three. Is that right? That's all right. I think so. What you're trying to say is world domination. Well, yeah, yes, in a nice way, in a sort of <laughs> quiet way. Yes, I am. I don't think there's any woman who wouldn't want to be more powerful and to be more in control, not just of themselves, but others as well. So I think, you know, we've got a long way to go, but we started and we can't stop because it's very addictive helping more and more women and those around them as well. So Thank you ever so much for your time today, Rebecca. And um, keep with me. Keep me sane, please. Oh, no, there's no danger of that. We've got lots more work to do. And uh, we'll enjoy doing that and helping women. Oh, thanks very much. Thank you. 
for more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website menopausedoctor.co.uk or you can download our free app called Balance available through the App Store and Google Play.